right, good morning. How y'all doing? You can say good morning. That's okay. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Time change Sunday. Good night. What a combination. Huh? Time change Sunday and St. Patrick's Day weekend all at the same time. I, I would say that it's the real Christians that show up on time change Sunday and St. Patrick's Day at the same time. Okay, so just turn to somebody near you and say, thank you for being a real Christian. <laughs> we're, not, we're not down on anybody that didn't show up today. We're just saying, like, if you show up today, I mean, come on. Anyway, yeah, it's great to be here today. Thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, my name is John. I'm the community pastor here. Uh, excited about where God's taken us and about the Perines joining us in a few weeks, adding to our staff, full-time community pastor, and uh, looking forward to getting to know them a little bit more uh, today. So, you know, we did a little research over the past few weeks to discover some things that might actually surprise you, okay, but they stress people out, okay? We discovered a few things that you might be surprised, actually stress people out, okay? Did you know that people have a legit fear of crossing the street? Did you know that? I mean, for many people, it's a safety concern. Certainly in the city, it's a safety concern, right? You have to be careful, not just the cars or buses, but also the bikes, right? But for others, it's the sinking feeling that everyone's looking at you. Have you ever heard of that before? Anybody stressed out by crossing the street? Quick show of hands, anybody admit it? Mm, okay, nobody here. All right, we're all brave. Uh, how about making a phone call? How about making a phone call? Okay, we got somebody here, right. Remember those, you know? It's a little like texting, but you don't type anything. You actually talk. I know, weird, isn't it? Yeah, but apparently texting is so much the norm that people now experience phone call anxiety. That's like a real thing, phone call anxiety. Okay, last one, here we go. Ever have someone ask you to hold a baby and it freak you out a little bit? Okay, I think we can all relate to this one, right? I mean, you get it, you're like, oh, what do I do? I might break it. It's, what if it falls, right? Especially the newborns, right, okay. I would guess that uh, most of us probably have something that makes you nervous that most people don't understand and might even think is just a little bit funny. But there are some things that stress us out, and I think we'd all agree they're no laughing matter. There are some things that do stress us out that I think we'd all agree are no laughing matter. And research shows us that the very top of that list is our personal finances. Research would say that at the top of that list is our personal finances. Now, for some of you, probably even the mention of that phrase, personal finances, your palms start to sweat, and you're already thinking, oh, great. It's St. Patrick's Day. I come to church, time change Sunday, and now he's talking about personal finances. Why did I come after all? Okay, but, but just stay with me, okay? Uh, I mean, growing up, uh, in my home, I don't remember my parents actually saying much about finances, but I do remember things being pretty tight, okay? And for some reason, it always seemed to kind of come to the surface around food. Now, when I was a kid, okay, we hardly ever went out to eat. Hardly ever went out to eat, unlike we do now. We go out to eat quite a bit now, but when I was a kid, hardly ever. And for quite a few years, the only way that we could go out was when we would fill a jar we kept in the kitchen with enough quarters so we could afford to actually eat a meal out. We actually did this. Now, here's the troubling part, okay? After finally saving enough money to actually go out to eat, when we would pull up to the restaurant, my dad would often say, okay, kids, I want you to know we're not here to get filled up. I'm like, what are we here for? Okay, we're at a restaurant. What it merely meant was we didn't actually save enough quarters for anything more than a cheeseburger, right? French fries were questionable, a soft drink was doubtful, and dessert was out of the question. That's what that meant. I don't know, was that stressful? Maybe not. But I do know that money can be a big source of stress for a lot of people. But the good news is our personal finances don't really need to be a source of stress. 
Our personal finances don't actually need to be a source of stress. They can actually be an opportunity for freedom. Our personal finances don't actually need to be a source of stress. They can actually be an opportunity uh, for freedom. So we're in week two of this series, we're calling, or, and we're recovering three biblical truths about finances, all right? Three truths that if we'll hold on to, I really be, believe will lead to freedom. And so last week we unpacked the notion that less is more. Okay, last week we unpacked the notion that less is more. And if you didn't get to watch that or experience that, I would encourage you to go online, watch it, listen to it on demand. Really, really good stuff. And this week we're talking about an aspect of our personal finances that often causes more stress than I think any other aspect. Any guesses? Today I want to talk about personal debt. Today I want to talk about debt. Uh, according to the American Psychological Association, okay, check this out. According to the American Psychological Association, personal debt is the leading cause of stress in the United States. Leading cause. And I don't need to tell you, right, stress is not a good thing, right? Uh, according to people surveyed in the U.S., nearly half are ashamed of debt. Nearly half of people are ashamed of debt. More than one-third of people say they are embarrassed to admit they're not paying off their credit card in full every month. More than 40% think they will be judged by family and friends because of credit card debt. Interesting, isn't it? And here's the tricky part about shame. See, while shame is real, it's not a deterrent. It doesn't slow our debt down any. The average household carries over $23,000 in short-term debt. That's not mortgage debt. That's just short-term debt. If you have a student loan, then debt, your debt is even way more because the average student loan now, debt is $37,000. Now, let me pause for a moment, okay? I'm not saying all student loan debt is necessarily bad, okay? And I know that sometimes we find ourselves in debt because of circumstances that are beyond our control. I mean, I've got friends who are burdened by medical bills that weren't covered by insurance. I've got other friends who experience long seasons of unemployment. So I get it. I understand that. And while I know the burden of debt is not God's desire, the shame that often comes with debt is also not God's desire. God has never, ever, ever been in the business of shaming. He's in the business of faith building. He's in the business of faith building, not shaming. We serve a loving God. James, the brother of Jesus, reminds us. He says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, not shame, right? So no matter what you might be facing, if you will walk through that with God, he wants you to develop perseverance. He wants you to consider it joy because you can see that ahead of this, I'm going to actually be stronger, right? If you per persevere and finish your work, finish the work that God wants to do in and through you, you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so while shame is real, and shame is often associated with debt, Shame is not God's desire. Please hear me on this. Shame is not God's desire. God's desire is for us to experience joy, to persevere, and to grow our faith and mature and learn so that we don't lack anything. But even so, uh, debt is still something that causes stress. And even though some of us might be really, really good at compartmentalizing, I mean, that kind of stress can wreak havoc on our lives. Now, I don't want to stress you out anymore, okay? But I do want to get a little nerdy with you on some math, okay? Is there anybody here who loves math? I've got a few people that love math. Okay, the three of us will enjoy this, okay? The rest of you just kind of like bear with us, okay? Here we go. I'm going to give you two very common 
debt scenarios that lead to significant stress in everyday life. Okay, two just very common debt scenarios that lead to stress in everyday life. Okay, let's just say that um, I want to buy a new vehicle, all right? I want to buy a new vehicle, all right? After this week, I wouldn't mind buying a new vehicle. I was the victim of a catalytic converter um, theft this week. Yeah, so aggravating. It's not like I can go, hey, you want to see my new catalytic converter? No, I got one. It cost a thousand bucks. And anyway, that's my sob story for this week. So I want to buy a new car. Okay, is there, is there a car out there right now that people really, really want to buy? Is there like one that just kind of stands out? Tesla. Tesla. Okay, I figured maybe that was it. Tesla. All right, I take a Tesla. All right, let's just say that I want to buy a Tesla, one with all the bells and whistles. I've been driving a clunker for a long time. I just want a car that can, you know, charge my smartphone, right? <laughs> so after spending several hours at the dealership, all right, I agreed to a purchase price of $48,000. 48,000. Now, I, that sounded really high when I first saw that number, but you know what? That's the average price of a new car in 2021 was $48,000. But let's just say that my credit score is not so great and the best rate I can get is 12% on that $48,000 purchase, okay? I also know I can only afford about $900 a month, so instead of a standard 48 to 60 month loan, I end up with a 72 month loan. Now, this might be sounding pretty good in some ways because I mean, I feel good about my negotiating skills. I feel good about qualifying for a loan. I feel good about the fact that I stayed with my monthly payment that I wanted to stay in. But now let's remember a few key principles that we just talked about, right? Debt is not good, debt is stressful. And so if I go through with this purchase, my monthly payment of $938, I wanted to keep it around $900, multiplied by 72 months, will result in me paying $68,000 for that vehicle, $20,000 more than the purchase price. And by the time I pay off that car, the trade-in value will probably be about $18,000, which is $30,000 less than I paid, and $50,000 less, wait, $30,000 less than the purchase price, and $50,000 less than what I actually paid for it. Anybody think that's a good deal? <laughs> of course not, right? I mean, those numbers stress me out. They probably should. All right, so maybe a new car is not your thing. How about this? Let's say you have a $2,000 balance on a credit card with 18% annual interest rate, which isn't, I don't think, too absurd. Really, that happens. And let's say you're making the minimum payment of 2% or $10 a month on that balance, whichever is greater, okay? 2% or $10 a month. $2,000 credit card debt. How long do you think it would take you to pay that off? 30 30 years. I mean, does that stress anybody out? Yeah. It takes less time to have a child and raise it to become an adult than it does to pay off a $2,000 debt with a minimum payment. <laughs> I mean, if we get caught, see, if we get caught in that kind of debt, we may be paying today for chicken nuggets we had five years ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So again, most debt is not good, and debt can impact very practical aspects of our everyday life. There's another area where debt can wreak havoc. Uh, in, in my line of work, I hear a lot of things from a lot of different people. But I will tell you some things that I have never heard people say. No one ever says, ever since I got into debt, my marriage has been so much better. Never heard anybody say that. Uh, nobody ever says, you know, that high interest rate on my credit card really helps me be in a great mood on Mondays with my coworkers. And not one person has ever told me, you know, I thank God every day that I have lots of payments to make. Shocking, right? No one ever says those things to me. But you know what I do hear people say? Seriously, I, I honestly hear people say, you know, I wish I could be more generous 
and quickly respond when a friend has a need. Or, oh, what I would give if I could work less and spend more time with family and friends. Or I hear people also say, man, I wish I could afford to change careers or maybe, maybe go to work for a nonprofit. And why do we say those things? Well, because sometimes we find ourselves in some sort of debt and debt can stress our relationships. The Huffington Post revealed that 36% of divorced couples say that issues around money and debt were a significant factor in the breakdown of their marriage. 36% said that money and finances were a significant factor in the breakdown of their marriage. And, you know, just being honest here, you know, I would say that money and finances are definitely among the leading causes of conflict in my marriage between Lisa and I. Um, and we have almost no debt at all, and we like each other. <laughs> you know? It's just not always easy, and I think the more debt you have, the more stress it causes and can bring to your relationships. Well, there's one more area that debt can cause, where debt can cause significant harm. And to speak to the stress that debt brings to this area of our lives, I'm, I'm going to focus on a part of the Bible called the Proverbs. Proverbs. It's pretty much right in the middle if you open up your um, paperback or, or hard copy Bible. And Proverbs are God's word given to us to keep us from the pitfalls of poor choices. And when you first read Proverbs, uh, that's how they appear to be written. It's like, if you do this, this will happen. It seems very cut and dry, right? If you do this, then this will happen. But the more I read them and study them, I liken them to a collection of, of best practices. And I would encourage you to think of them that way when you read them, a collection of best practices. It's more like, if you do this, then this tends to happen. Or if you do that, then this will most likely happen. Uh, one scholar put it this way. I like how this was put. The truisms of Proverbs are not absolute promises, but general principles based on careful observation of the human experience. Not absolute promises, but principles based on careful observation of the human experience. So that, with that explanation, let's dive in. Okay, the writer of Proverbs says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. This proverb kind of has a dual warning, doesn't it? Uh, first, it's a warning to those with resources, not to exploit those who have less. But it's also a warning that when we incur debt, we're in sort of bondage, if you will, to the people and institutions to which we owe money. All right? When we incur debt, we're kind of in bondage in some ways to the people and institutions to which we owe money. And as a result, what happens? We lose some freedom. Now, I was thinking about this, and here's one way to look at it. You know, the lease on, on our apartment, we live about, oh, I don't know, about a half a mile from here. And the lease on our apartment where we live is coming up here in just a couple of months. And I thought, that, you know, the truth is every time we sign that lease, uh, Lisa and I, we sign away some of our freedom. Nothing wrong with the lease, nothing wrong with the mortgage necessarily, but I mean, they do. They do take away some of your freedom. I mean, I can't just pick up and move now whenever I want, right? I can't save, give, or spend my money just however I want, whenever I want, because I got to make sure I can pay off that lease or pay off that mortgage. And see, if we aren't wise in how we make those kind of commitments, it can have an adverse effect, even on our relationship with God. Because again, people never say, you know, I thank God I have so many payments I can make. No, but they do say, you know what? I do hear people say often, I wish I could be more generous to people in need or give more to God than I do right now. And so I think what we need to do is really take a second look and, and give careful attention to how much we will owe and to whom we will owe. Because if we don't, we can lose our freedom and opportunity to be generous and respond when God wants us to respond. And so, yeah, debt can mess up our 
everyday lives, our closest relationships, and even our spiritual lives. And so with the time remaining here, I just want to share with you briefly two prayers with next steps that I believe can help us experience the freedom that God wants for us when it comes to our personal finances, okay? Two prayers with next steps that I think will help us experience the freedom that God really wants for us when it comes to our personal finances. Um, I want to begin with this. So, you know, when Lisa and I first got married, just, you know, a few years ago, uh, we came from families with two different views of personal finances. And, I mean, for all sorts of reasons, Lisa's family always seemed to have enough, but there was an overriding sense that it could quickly just be lost, and so you, you better hold on to it. That was kind of the, you know, unstated sort of philosophy. Now, my family, we never had a whole lot, but my parents were always generous with their time, with what they had, and with their money. And so when we got married, we came at, at finances from two different perspectives. But somewhere along the line, thankfully, we were able to really look to God's wisdom in Scripture. And at some point, we prayed something like this. It weren't, weren't these exact words, but something like this. God, please help us make a plan. We knew we had to have some sort of plan when it comes to our finances. We really wanted to reflect the wisdom we could find in Scripture. Um, and truth is, now, years later, at least it has a lot more faith when it comes to this area than I do. And sometimes I'm like, you, you want to give away how much? <laughs> you know? Because, you know, generosity is a part of our plan. So, so let me just say that wherever you might be in your journey with money, uh, I think this prayer, God, help me make a plan. Very simple. God, help me make a plan is a great next step for all of us. God, help me make a plan. And again, and looking to the wisdom of God found in the book of Proverbs, we learn that the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, quick disclaimer, okay? God is not saying that if you find yourself living in poverty, it's always because you're hasty. That's not what he's saying. And he's also not saying that diligence always leads to wealth. What God is saying is that haste, right, or quick decisions in the realm of finances rarely pays off. I think experience would probably tell you that's true, right? That haste in the realm of finances, quick decisions, rarely pay off. For example, I mean, uh, you know, haste could look like uh, shopping anytime you find yourself feeling sad. Some call it retail therapy. Anybody ever <laughs> go for some retail therapy from time to time? Yeah, I'm guilty for sure. Or, or maybe just because you had a bad day, you're like, I'm going to go out to eat. Anybody do that? I do that. Absolutely. See, haste is anytime you make a decision with your heart before you consulted your head and your budget. And let me tell you, Amazon Prime <laughs> thrives on haste. Am I wrong or what, right? I mean, I mean, it takes no planning at all. You don't even have to get out of bed to make a major purchase, right? Uh, one study uh, showed that half of all Americans have no financial plan at all. Half have no financial plan at all. Uh, I like this, author and pastor Craig Rochelle writes this, he says, you can wander into debt, but you will never wander out of debt. You can stumble into debt, but you will never stumble out of debt. Uh, you can mistake your way into debt, but you will never mistake your way out of debt. And see, if we hope to avoid the pain and stress of debt and experience the freedom that God really wants us to experience when it comes to our finances, we got to get a plan. And the plan we're talking about really is a budget. I know it's kind of the B word, see? But I think, you know, instead of calling it a budget, how about calling it a spending plan? That sounds like a lot more fun, doesn't it? 
I prefer a spending plan <laughs> to a budget. So it's the same thing, all right? Let's call it a spending plan. Now, some of us have never made a spending plan or a budget, right? And you don't know where to start. And if that's you, then I just want to recommend something very practical that you can do to follow up on this talk today. We have a money and budgeting course. It's a CAP course. There's some information about it right here. It's a three-week course that will help you develop and live on a budget, which is really a great first step towards financial freedom. You can find out more about it at communitychristian.info. It's online. It, it would be a great first step for anybody to say, you know what, I just want to get a plan. I just want to get a, a spending plan. I want to figure out what a budget might look like. Please sign up for this course. All right. Now, some of us have a budget or spending plan. But we just don't follow it. Okay, and so if that's you, I know some of you are smiling. Yeah, I got one. I haven't looked at it for three years, but I got one. Um, if that's you, just begin by revisiting that budget and that plan and getting back on track. And I will tell you, with everything being automated the way it is now, it's so easy, I think, for our plan to get old, right? Because we just kind of like keep going with what we always had. Super important, I think, for us to go back and take a look at that plan that we put in place a while back to make sure it's current. Now, if this is an area where you excel, and I know some folks do, I would love to talk to you about how you can serve our church and our community by joining our CAP budgeting course team. Or if you have a solid plan in place, maybe it's time for a version 2.0 that you can revise, update, and make sure it's current. But whatever, wherever, wherever you might be on this journey, I think we can all begin with this prayer. God, help me make a plan. And then make a plan. Does that make sense? Give me a nod of the head if you're with me. All right, cool. All right, here's the second prayer we can pray, all right? God, please give me self-control, right? Anybody need some help with that one? All right, God, please give me self-control. And self-control really is the ability to say no to things we want now in order to experience freedom in the future. It's the ability to say no to the things we want now so that we can experience freedom in the future. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. And if you think about it, a city that's broken down, it's vulnerable, right? It can be easily attacked, right? <laughs> it's unprotected. But self-control, especially in the area of our personal finances, allows us to protect ourselves and stick to the plans that we make. So if saying no is a challenge for any of you, which I'm guessing it probably is if you're like me, Ask God, please give me self-control. And you know, I would encourage you also as you think through these two prayers, maybe which one's best for you and applies to where you might be as you think about your own personal finances. Share it with somebody else. Share it with somebody else that you trust the prayer that you're praying and the plan that you're making. Get some feedback from a trusted and wise friend. Don't go it alone. And you know, I also want to say this. You know, my hunch is that for many of you, um, maybe because of stage of life and career, you know, you'll probably be making more money in the years to come than you are right now. And I think it's easy to sort of think, well, you know, when I start making some serious money, then I'll get a plan. I don't know if anybody's ever thought that. You know, when I start making some serious money, then, then I'll get a plan. But here's what we know it to be true. How I handle what I have right now is likely how I will handle it in the future, right? And I can tell you, the earlier you start, the easier it's going to be to keep those principles in place if God does choose to bless you with even more. The earlier you get those principles in place, you put that plan in place, the more effective you're going to be at handling it when God gives you or blesses you with more in the future. I came across a story in the Washington Post that confirms this idea. In, 1990, in 1988, William Budd bought 40 tickets in the state lottery. 40 tickets in the state lottery. And at that time, Bud had less than $5 in his bank account. 
but he won the $16.2 million jackpot. Not a bad day, huh? Over the next 10 years, Bud spent and mismanaged that money to the point of having to auction off his remaining annual payouts just to pay off his debt. Within a decade, he was out of money all over again. And in 1993, he said this. He said, everybody dreams of winning money, but nobody realizes the nightmares that come out of the woodwork or the problems. I was much happier when I was broke. I just want peace of mind. Now, I, I think Bud's words are a, a gentle reminder that the more money we have doesn't necessarily mean we will have fewer problems. I mean, for most of us, it's not the amount of resources we have, but our ability to make a plan and stick to that plan, right? And so, I don't know, maybe you're, you're here today and you've had unexpected uh, expenses come up and you need somebody to come alongside you and help you get out of debt. Or, or perhaps you've had a job change and you're stuck in the consequences of not having a plan or needing to rework your plan. And I just want to say again, our God wants you to experience freedom, freedom from shame, freedom from debt. And I also want to challenge you and encourage you, don't go it alone. You don't need to do this by yourself. That's why we are here. We want to be a community that comes alongside you and will help you get through whatever life brings your way, no matter how much you have or don't have. Now, the writer of Proverbs put it this way. I like this. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. All right? All right, let's pray. Father God, God, please help us uh, in this area. It's not necessarily a fun thing to talk about, challenging for so many people, but God, it is an area where we know you want us to experience freedom and not stress. Um, and so God, help us to make a plan if we don't have a plan. Help us to make a plan. God, help us to seek your wisdom, the wisdom of, of people that uh, maybe are a little further along in this area too, God. Uh, help us to support each other and encourage us in this. And God, give us self-control. Lord, we want to experience freedom, the freedom that you can bring so that we can um, persevere, we can mature in our faith, and we can be to that place where your brother says we won't lack anything. God, we thank you so much for... Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, hopefully when you came in, you, you uh, got one of these. It's our communion, the bread and the juice that we eat and we drink. If you didn't get one, would you go ahead and just raise your hand and Crystal, make sure you have one. Go ahead and hold your hand up. We'll, we'll get to you eventually. All right, I think there's a couple people. Uh, you know, whether it be our finances or some other area of our lives, I think most of us know what it's like uh, to carry stress. Anybody here that's just absolutely stress-free? Okay, I didn't think so. And so as we prepare to receive communion um, this morning, I want to remind you of uh, some words of Jesus that I go back to over and over again. Where he said this, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love that word rest, rest. It just sounds good, doesn't it? Rest. Say that after me, okay? Rest. Rest. Yeah. And I think it's a relief to know that we can bring our weariness, we can bring our burdens, um, we can bring our stress to the one who loves us more than anyone else will ever even come close to loving us. And he truly wants us to experience true rest that can be found in him when we ultimately put our trust in him. Um, if you think about it, Jesus wants us to experience that rest so much that he was willing to live go to the cross and die and come back to life three days later so we can experience really a rest that lasts forever. 
Uh, you might find it interesting that when Jesus hung on the cross and he was taking his last breath, his last words were, it is finished. It is finished. There's a Greek word there, tetelestai, and that word actually means the debt is paid. The debt is paid. And uh, see, when we make room for Jesus, the one thing he can do that no one else could do is pay the debt for our sins. The one thing that he can do that no one else can do is pay the debt for our sins and give us complete peace and rest from all of our burdens, all of our guilt, all of our shame, right? And so that's why I love the fact that every, every Sunday when we come together, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We eat the bread. We remember his body that was broken for us. We drink the juice. We remember his blood that was shed for us. And so if you would peel back that top layer and uh, take the wafer and let's together celebrate uh, the body of Christ. And then peel back that next layer. And let's together um, celebrate and remember the blood of Christ. Let's pray one more time. God, again, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of his death and resurrection, we can know uh, eternal freedom, eternal rest. Uh, thank you that you loved us enough that you came to earth, lived among us, knowing full well you would go to the cross and then chose to go to the cross on our behalf. You didn't have to, but you, you did it willingly because you'd rather die than live without us. God, we're grateful for that. Lord, we want to experience freedom in every area of our life, and we know the only way we can do that is when we come to you. And so, God, help us to come to you, because you certainly came to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.